How much Knob Creek have you had this year? Not enough, apparently. I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna exactly pull a Jeffrey Tubin or anything during work, getting caught like that. The best part is that he gets his job back, and then the the lady has to be like, "Hey, let's welcome back Jeffrey Tubin, Mister Sexual Inappropriateness on a work call. Welcome back to work, Jeff. Welcome back, and uh, and nice knowing you. All in the same conversation." <laughs> No, no. That you did you hear about this? The Jeffrey Tubin guy. This was like a year or two ago already. I think. Pretty sure I missed like most of these details. Oh really? Okay. Well, so Jeffrey Tubin is is slash was um like one of the legal analysts for CNN, okay. and apparently there was some you know work call you know Zoom call six eight ten people something like that, and um he uh began pleasuring himself to something else on his computer while his camera was still on. For his other coworkers, most of them women, and so, wow. yeah, and uh, so he was, you know, taken off the air and all that stuff, and <laughs> and you know, the internet did not disappoint because they started talking about YouTubing and pulling yep. a tubing and Red everybody tubing. loves a Jeffrey and all the every <laughs> just everything all the hey, they told him to come back right I mean that was oh the- they did wow. I mean whenever he even said anything on Twitter for the longest time he would just get just deluged with people just punting the shit out of him how hard is it to like cover your camera or flip a little cover just, down on you know, it? So it I, don't, like... just, I don't know he was probably I mean what really actually happened I mean he claimed he just didn't know but he I my theory is that he was winking it to somebody else on the call. Yeah. Oh, almost or 100%. multiple people because otherwise they're right. There's no I don't I don't know how you make that mistake unless you're trying to pull a fast one. <laughs> and um but then I don't know, six months, eight months, some number of months later, he's you know, intermittently coming back on the air. And his first night back on TV, they, you know, the host introduced him, welcoming back, you know, Jeffrey Tubin. And it's like the people are pointing out, like they're having one of his women coworkers do this. Like that's kind of a low blow for her. And there's the rub. There is the rub. So yeah, they should have had a, a guy welcoming back just to soften the blow. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Two Dads Talking, officially. We're going to call it Two Dads Talking moving forward because you can't claim to be a parenting podcast when the first thing that gets discussed is about workplace sexual promiscuity. (laughs) It just doesn't work like that. I was thinking, Tom, we should name some of our episodes kind of like Fast and Furious so we can just be like 2DT and then Dads 5 and then Dad X. (laughs) The, the dad saga. <laughs> the dad saga. <laughs> that one's got some teeth to it. I kind of like it that does one. Right. Uh, and that's yeah. all I have for tonight. That's it. Thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. On to episode whatever, because now we're going to just pad the stats at this point and try to get ahead of that. <laughs> the next magic number, I think, was 14, right? The, for the uh, I don't know what podcast. the next one was. Because the, the having two podcasts was the 88th percentile, and then having four was like the 56th or something it was like 44 percent. but then the uh, average number of episodes for active podcasts was 14 wow. i think but that was we we talked about that though because there's a lot of podcasts out there with like 100 plus episodes so excuse the number a little bit welcome to the 10th percentile or the 90th percentile it was good to be here i gotta say it's nice to be here sipping so, on my knob creek talking yeah. about elephants and cults and you know all the right. good stuff tonight 
And since you're all dying to know, Tom is wearing another hat tonight. Um, it is a little bit more traditional-ish, but it's DC, as he discussed, Batman hat. So it's good. I am not wearing a hat this time because I just don't do that. And I got a haircut. So Tom has to look at my new haircut. It's a nice haircut. It's very sharp. Thank you. But what I did do, so this, you can't see it, but this t-shirt that I'm wearing, it's one of my favorite, like moving around the home shirts. It is a t-shirt for a restaurant called Weenie Wonder. Ooh. Yes. And for the dad saga, two dads talking podcast, I don't know exactly what it says on the back, but I know two of the words are hot and delicious. (laughs) So that's why that got worn tonight. I like it. It fits. Very nice. Yep. And I I'm, I'm wearing the the, um, the typical polo t-shirt because one of Doug's original demands for making this podcast is that we wear a collared shirt every night when we record. <laughs> so I'm wearing a uh, a collared polo Under Armour high performance uh, t-shirt and uh, complete with buttoned up collar. And uh, yes, my Batman cap. For those who don't know, I, I was Batman for four years of my life, dressing uh-huh. up and putting on a utility belt and fighting crime at night. So tonight, Batman felt right. We're talking some superheroes and supervillains later. And I knew Doug was going to dress up as he demanded, you know, because that, that's what professionals do. So I want to mm-hmm. make sure I matched him and also had a little bit of the uh, the superhero in me tonight. Nerd. <laughs> I, uh, this and, and actually, the story behind this shirt is good, too, because um, so how we even ended up at Weenie Wonder. I go to work. I'm at the office with folks and everyone does, you know, Taco Tuesday. Oh, yeah, because we're so original. Um, But nearby is this Weenie Wonder place. And my boss knows the guy who's the founder or at least is like an acquaintance. And he was telling me all about it. And so I made a stupid joke one day. I was just like, hey, guys, want to go to Weenie Wednesday? (laughs) And and of course, I got a bunch of looks like, what? This message brought to you by Doug Tubin, not Doug. Doug Doug, Doug Tubin, Weenie (laughs) Wednesday. And one of the times we were walking out of there, there was some little table on the side and it was one of the local news stations and they had one of those spin the wheel and and potentially win kind of things. And so nobody wants to actually do it because we're all around like our work buddies and, you know. Wow, that's when Doug steps in and spins someone, the wheel. Someone says, Doug, you want to do it? I'm like, yes, yeah. obviously, because the, the previous guy who spun won like tickets to some minor league baseball game. And I was like, I don't need baseball tickets. I'm not going to be able to go this Saturday. And they're like, let's spin anyway. And so I did it. And they said, well, you could have this t-shirt. And I said, I doubt you have an extra large for the fat and meek, but they actually <laughs> did. So here we are. So the wheel won a weenie wonder wearable. Mm, alliteration. I like it. Nice. Enough First. Where are we starting tonight? I don't know. Let's do we, we went let's... With the article route again, instead of our topic thing again. We'll get back. We'll get back to topics. I think. I think topics can be good, but we still need. We st- we still need to get better at this. For those of you, so for those of you who have found this show and we're on episode whatever twenty two right now secretly. Thank you for coming back to listen to this one. <laughs> we apologize in advance. Let's start with Bob Barker. Let's just start off with the homage. Be super serial. We can go from Jeffrey Tubin to Bob Barker and then back to animals. Doug picked uh, two different homage stories tonight, actually. They're... Yeah, I did. That's right. Oh, I was the dark one this time. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're it's not dark. They're they're paying tribute and they're paying homage, as you said. I think uh, I think it's dark. See, this is the kind of thing where when you draw parallels to these two articles, it makes me seem much smarter than I am because I also realize there's sort of a sub theme of of animals in here. So we'll we'll explain in a second. So first article, um, Bob Barker. The Price is Right host, he dies at 99 years old. This was August 26th, I think is when most of the articles came out. So 
um, my birthday was on the 25th so it's like happy birthday one of your childhood heroes is gonna die happy birthday doug bob barker for the for those of you who don't know um you need to get out more i guess for some of the some people who have been born a little bit later just missed this whole thing bob barker was a game show host um he started on a different game show i want to say it was in like 64 or something like that let me see let me see if the article mentions it yes he was on a show called truth or consequences in the mid 1950s oh 1972 1972 he began hosting the price is right and what I didn't know was that it was actually a continuation. There was a the Price is Right show was on for something like six or seven years before that. And then he came on for like a remix and they called it the new Price is Right. And then eventually they just dropped the word new. But this dude hosted this show for decades. And honestly, if you have a minute, just go YouTube like a, a Bob Barker Price is Right episode and you'll understand right away. He's just one of those guys who was everybody's grandpa. He seemed to genuinely like the contestants, genuinely have fun. He got excited when people won. Consummate professional. Like he was just, he was kind of like a Mr. Rogers, but for game shows, basically. And he added to it too, because he did little cameos. Like he had a cameo in, in an Adam Sandler movie where he gets into a fight with Adam Sandler and in Happy Gilmore and, and obviously <laughs> wins. And it just the man was just one of those legends and uh my favorite quote from the new york times article was um someone asked his wife at the time in like the late 70s why their marriage did so well or what she did to to focus on their marriage and she said well i love bob barker and bob barker loves bob barker <laughs> he was just your exactly what you'd expect for a tv game show guy so this is like the shout out to a long stretch of tom and my childhood yeah yeah, you don't hear about too many celebrities these days who uh, whose names don't also dredge up like a, a litany list of negative articles and, and bad stories. And but I, I never, I'm sure they might exist somewhere out there. I never once read a bad word about this guy. Never heard anything bad about him. The uh, the water boy, the the Adam Sandler uh, Happy Gilmore scene of him just that's one of my favorite cinematic moments of all time. It's it's top fifteen of all time all movies the price is wrong bitch will forever be one of my favorite lines from any i forgot movie about that line <laughs> it's so good oh uh, and then he like wakes up and starts choking him out <laughs> yep, yep. yeah if, uh, if, if you haven't for some reason if you're listening to this podcast that you have not seen happy gilmore i'm already shocked but maybe you're just younger if you don't have time to watch the movie just youtube happy gilmore versus bob barker and it's just hilarious it's great um yeah, he was um, Barney Stinson's father for a little while and How I Met Your Mother. He he was just an always happy guy in every role he ever had. And every every time you ever saw him, just looked like he was loving life. And as you're going to find out from one of my stories tonight, it's, it's important to me that people appreciate what they have in life. Um, and I feel like he did. Yeah, just, just seems like a good guy. Not a lot of celebrities I see. I'm like, man, I want to be like that celebrity because you know there's stuff going on behind the scenes. But Bob Barker, I hope to God I am as happy in my older years as that man was because he just looked happy and looked like he was just doing good all the time yeah and it's funny you mentioned that too because he um the scandal and we'll throw some air quotes around it was um one of his uh what they call them barker's beauties bob's beauties the the ladies that presented the prizes two. on the show yeah um one of them a year after she left the show she accused him of you know sexual harassment claiming that she thought she had to sleep with him 
to maintain her job. So first of all, Bob Barker was married, um, but his wife passed away in 1981 from lung cancer, and he never remarried after that. The ABC article here, I pulled it up for this too. Um, his, his quote was, I never had any inclination to remarry. She was my wife. So even though he's maybe having a little, oh, and that was the other thing too, when, when the accusations came out, this is going to be a really weird take from me, but while in an ideal world, you wouldn't be sleeping around even, even if your wife passes away, like, you know, sort of maybe in honor of your wife. I don't know. That's, that's my, I'm just made a face, man, just found a topic. <laughs> we have different ideal worlds. We have different, well, okay. So like, you know, till death do us part. I get that. I'm not saying it's like wrong to be romantic with anybody else, but like, I, I feel me personally, I have kids with my wife. I have multiple kids with my wife. I have, I mean, like her parents and her siblings, like these, this is my family now. So bringing someone else around is, I don't know, it kind of feels like the, for me, it would just be like another like girlfriend kind of thing. And and it would never be what it was before. So to me, it's kind of like, for me, my homage would be like, she is my one and only even, even after till death do us part kind of thing. So, but, but Again, want to be clear, it says till death to us part. It doesn't say until you both are six feet under kind of thing. But part of his, I guess, wholesomeness was that when the accusation came out, he was like, I mean, yeah, we we did have it. We did have a relationship. Didn't think it was forced, though. Seemed pretty consensual to me. She even kind of told me I needed to spice up my life a little bit. And, and then a year later, she dropped the lawsuit. And she claimed it was, or even a couple months later, and she claimed it was because she didn't have the money. But I think it was because... He was so beloved and he didn't hide behind it. He was like, yes, we've had a relationship. It sounded like he just kind of told the truth straight out because that was a time when he could have hid behind it. And just he had he definitely had a public perception of being able to say no and that she was falling for money. And, and he didn't. I think he just fessed up to it. And that kind of destroyed her case, ironically. Yeah. So overall, good dude. And I think he was supposed to make another cameo. uh on the prices right because he did like a guest host one time for an april fool's joke to drew carey the new host and he was supposed to make a, a cameo he said he would when he turned 100 so well, he didn't quite make it wow all right bob barker yeah doug brought all the death stories tonight i did i did you're welcome i know you were hankering for some death and then you felt bad about it last time so so i let you bring the fun stuff and i can bring the death stuff well, I brought one fun stuff. Um, unfortunately, there's no death involved at all in, in this story, which is good. <laughs> the story that I'm bringing, <laughs> now I got to pull up the headline. Um, it was from ScreenRant.com, and it was, what if the MCU's villains fought Thanos instead? If you don't know what the MCU is, or you don't know who Thanos is, then you need to turn this off and uh, go watch some movies and rot your brain for a little while. And You've take off your Batman hat. Yes, yes. You've you've missed out on the better part of the uh, the last fifteen years or so, um, at least in Hollywood. Sadly, everything else has just been a regurgitation of things I grew up with. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, despite what you think of the movies, has changed cinema and it's been kind of cool. But the whole article takes the uh, the perspective of, of a nice, peaceful, non death related story. If you replaced all of the Marvel superheroes who fought basically Armageddon uh, against Thanos with villains instead. What would have happened? Would the villains have defeated Thanos? What would the world look like afterward? What would their motivations be? For those who don't know, I am a writer. That is what I like to do. What I want to do, I want, I want Stephen King's job one day, but I am a far cry away from getting that notch. 
but that's what I want to do. And I love to write. So this sort of thing that plays the imagination really, really strikes me. And I love generally villains more than I love heroes in stories. I think they're more interesting. I think Thanos was by far the best character in Infinity War. And I think the reason Endgame was not a great movie was because of what they did to Thanos. But that's a whole different episode. Doug's giving me funny faces already. But yeah, it would be interesting if you replaced all these, uh, we'll say goody, goody two-shoes with villains who were win at all cost, really no holds barred, had their own motivations in hand, uh, super villains in this battle. They wouldn't have held any punches. They wouldn't have been afraid to sacrifice other people for the victory. And had they been victorious, you know how things would have been, you know, that the capstone moment in Endgame is when, uh, spoiler alert, Iron Man snaps his fingers and and puts an end to Thanos and his army, but sacrifices himself to do it. You know, what would have happened if Killmonger had had that gauntlet and snapped his fingers? You know, he was the one who essentially hated the world we lived in and saw his people as oppressed and hated the white devils in the world and wanted to, you know, throw a worldwide rebellion in the place. What if it had been Abomination who just wanted power and control and wanted to be the strongest being in the universe? Like, what would the world look like afterward? What about Loki who wanted to rule all of Earth and all of mankind and would have just been happy to throw everything into chaos so he could take over? Um, it was an interesting concept. And I love to juxtapose really any any established storyline. One of my favorite things that good writers do sometimes is they take the storyline that succeeded something that worked well, and then they take the protagonist or one of the main elements in it, and they just like flip it on its head and they see what would have happened. So have you read Ender's Game, Doug? Yes, actually I have. So Ender's Game is one of my favorite sci-fi books of all time. And uh, Ender's Shadow, have you read that? No, I have not. I actually did hear about that, though. Same kind of concept. Yep. Ender's Shadow became my favorite book by Orson Scott Card after I read it. Better than Ender's Game. And the entire book is the same exact story as Ender's Game. But instead of being told from Ender's perspective, it's told from the perspective of Bean, who is kind of seen as his brilliant sidekick for the later parts of Ender's Game. Um, But in this case, you're getting Bean's background, Bean's life story, and then all the events of Ender's Game through Bean's eyes. And... It's so compelling and it is so fascinating and it is so interesting. He's a better character than Ender. Uh, The story is a better story than Ender's Game. And it was so successful that he went on and wrote like seven or eight more books in the Shadow series, whereas Ender really only had two more that were any good. And then years later, he came back and tried to write more and they stunk. But like the Shadow (laughs) series is fantastic. Like the next five or six books are just amazing. And it's all because he took this one pivotal idea and like, well, yeah, that was a cool story. And, you know, I'm a bestseller and I want awards and I'm famous now and I'm rich, but why don't I just screw the whole thing up and tell it from someone else's perspective? And it worked. And that's kind of what I saw with this, except here you also get the, uh, you know, the moral dilemmas and the, and the what if, you know, because things would clearly have been different. It's not the same story. It's, it really is changing a lot. And I really just love the idea of juxtaposing a hero and a villain. You know, the best villains already think they're heroes anyway. So I just, I really, really kind of enjoyed the read and, and I love where the imagination went with it. Is that all? That's all. Your turn. Okay. Um, grumpy Doug full is, hour, but I won't. I was going to say you could go a full hour. We could go a full hour on this. And and for the record, for all of our listeners out there, Tom is the one who I, I at least assume has some comic book uh, exposure to some of these characters. Um, I have approximately zero comic book exposure to pretty much any character. I think I, I mean, honestly, I think I read a Wolverine comic when I was little. Doug was reading different kinds of graphic novels when he was a kid. YouTube in. Um, <laughs> I can't remember. I know I had like one comic book that I, and I, I that, that shows you how much of an impression it left on me. I don't even remember what the comic was or what it was about. 
what Grumpy Doug did not like about this article was they basically, I mean, good concept, right? Hey, what if we had a bunch of the villains fighting Thanos, you know? And I mean, you can get to this situation a zillion ways, like, like most of the villains actually win their confrontations against the the heroes in, in each of the movies leading up to this, because obviously the whole point of, of the good hero movies is that there's a, a huge hill to get over slash sometimes the odds seem insurmountable when they're fighting the, the baddies. But then they, in my mind, they took this concept and they kind of underwhelmed it because they basically said, okay, who fought against Thanos? Iron Man? Okay, who's a good who's like the same as Iron Man? Oh, let's do, you know, Obadiah Stone with Iron Monger. And then let's have Justin Hammer be like his brains. And then, oh, Captain America, let's do Red Skull because he got the same serum, you know, as Captain America. And and to me, that that actually, honestly, and I'm about to hurl a massive insult here, I think. Um, this was lazy because if you go back, at least, and again, remember, all movies. So if there's something in the comics that's that is different slash explains all this, um, I don't know, and I don't apologize. I'm just going to make a hot take here. I'm like Skip Bayless, but more tolerable. Um, and less rich. Way less rich. Because <laughs> <laughs> in the Captain America movie, can't remember the scientist's name now, but he, the creator of the serum tells Steve Rogers, he said, the serum accentuates stuff. So what is good becomes great. What is bad becomes worse. So the only real parallel between Captain America and Red Skull is probably physical strength or 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 athleticism because their personalities are different even their brains are wired differently i mean the whole point of the serum is that it, it it's like a super steroid so so replacing captain america with red skull is 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 really lazy they're they're entirely different characters in my mind and and they, they totally are and then also you can also make the argument that captain america was not as strong physically as red skull because they had some scenes in the movie that showed that and he started off as a regular man when he got the serum and steve rogers was a tiny little wimpy kid you know when he got the serum kind of thing so i thought that was lazy i think they should have said they they should have just taken essentially the winners of the confrontations of Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and all that stuff, like taking Loki. I think they should have included um, the guy in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, the villain there that actually gets a hold of the Power Stone and says he's going to come after Thanos. Like, that's your story right there. Ronan, I think it was, yeah. Ronan, yes, thank you. They should have done that. And then instead of getting... And then and then they even went right down to, oh, who would do the snap? Bitch, no one would do the snap. The, the, either, I mean, you could, you could make a case that like Killmonger, maybe you know, yeah. does the snap because I he does kind of have a, Loki. He, I, I could see either of them doing that for their Loki. Absolutely. No way. Loki would never do it. He, oh. he, no, he, he was, he had love for Thor. He had love sort of for Odin at times. He didn't have love for anybody else ever. He only, he only even tried to shank Thanos because of Thor, because he was trying okay. to help Thor. Like, so he like, went, like Loki from the first, the first Avengers movie though, like further well, that's back what they, the that's line. what they did. They tried to do pre 20. Oh, that's right. They did yeah. Loki. But, but yeah. the point is I, I think even later Loki, I, I think he wouldn't to do the snap either because he, he only ever really bonded with Thor. And even when he was being a little putz, Thor was like, Loki, please stop. And he's like, fine. <laughs> you know, it, it was the only, otherwise he'd complete, you know, just keep messing around. Well, I'm not saying he would do it altruistically. I think he would do it to gain control of, of all of Earth and like throw yeah. the multiverse into chaos. I, I, I thought that was kind of spot on. That that was his whole whole goal throughout the entire Avengers movie was to use, you know, yeah. stones, I, I, although different ones, to throw the world into chaos and take control for himself. 
Well, what they should have done is they should have said they should have gone this article the separate ways and said, okay, let's pretend Loki's dancing around in the cosmos and he runs into um what was the the bad guy in Ant Man, you know, who's doing the the quantum stuff. You know, he oh, the Ken. two of yeah, yeah the two of the two of them run into Ken each other. Yeah, because that was the whole point was that Ant Man said time travel should be possible because he was in the quantum level for so long and time is different and all that. And that's how Tony found it. So Justin Hammer finds it. They go back, they start getting all the stones. And then you have each of them holds onto the stone. They kind of have like a, a mutually assured destruction going on where each one that gets a stone kind of hold, you know, they don't actually combine them to any one person because no one wants to actually, oh, sure, you'll do the snap. Just kidding. Now you have all the stones. What's to stop you from doing whatever the hell you want? And then Thanos obviously shows up. They all decide, you know what, let's just kick his ass first and then we can kick each other's asses later. That's the beginning of the movie. Then you go into this like power struggle where they all decide to go their separate ways, start building their little fiefdoms around the universe. They start fucking with each other, like just, you know, using their various stones powers. I think that's, you can have 20 movies off of that easy. I would watch that movie. 100%. Right. That's what I mean. That, yeah. But this whole like, oh, they, they basically use the exact same template and they said, okay, it's these exact types of characters because that's what beat Thanos. It's it's using the snap. It's all that. Like, no, that's not what would happen at all if you really want to want to dig deep into these guys. Other point that I would like to make just while I'm on my soapbox here. And I know I talked about, you know, for example, like Red Skull is physically stronger than than Captain America. I think that at least a case could be made for that. The other way to look at this is the villains are the villains. They don't care about collateral damage. Part of what makes heroes heroes is not just because there's there's lots of things. And I, I think people don't really understand why they love heroes so much, because it's not just that they can do superhuman things. It's that they can do superhuman things, which is really cool. They don't abuse the power. You know, Uncle Ben, great power comes great responsibility. They're responsible with it. But then in addition to not using it for their own gain, they use it to protect people. I mean, like they made a whole movie on Hancock, which was just superhuman, indestructible, but he was a waste of space. Like he wasn't hurting anybody, but he wasn't helping anybody and he was hated for it. And I think that's a real world thing. So it's it's not just that you're not taking advantage, it's that you're actively protecting is what makes you a superhero. And then on top of that, when you have a villain, you are trying trying to stop a villain while also not like destroying everything and everybody in the way because Hulk could have easily for example destroyed abomination if he didn't give a shit about buildings and other people and all that stuff but that's part of what makes him so great is that he overcame that extra hurdle i mean like every bad guy tosses a baby in front of a train or something like that and the hero has to go and like get it first but if the hero is like you know what there's lots of babies i can just get them right now like the movie would be like 25 minutes shorter you know what i mean so just that that so so to say that oh these are like one for one apples to apples comparison like no they're not replacing the only apples to apples comparison really in this whole article was killmonger for like you know the black panther type because he was the only guy and i think in the movie didn't they have like an actual head-to-head like for the title like kind of thing so that's your true like you can actually replace them kind of thing but otherwise most of the time the villains are they've got extra benefits of not having the morality stuff to distract them from the actual battle I could talk about this for an hour. Oh we should totally do this as a just topic. We should come right out back and to... this could be my whole thing. Rewriting the script. Right back to talking this. about the hero's journey. Talking about what makes a good yeah. villain. I'm all in for this. Oh, man. And I actually, I haven't watched movies in ages, but I did the last couple of nights. I did watch um, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. And then I watched uh, Guardians 3. So um, I'm getting myself caught up-ish a little bit, but I haven't seen a Marvel movie other than those two and whatever it's been since Endgame pretty much. 
Yeah, Guardians 3 let me down, not because it was bad, because it wasn't bad, but because everybody had built my expectations up to just this absolutely unreachable level. <laughs> I've got well, that, friends. Well, that's and, your fault. <laughs> it is. It is. No, 100% it is. But I had friends telling me it was better than the first Guardians movie, and and, and it wasn't. It was a fine movie. It was. It was good. <sighs> yeah. But it was not better first, than the first one. The first one was something unique first Guardians and special. Was, yeah. You know, and I mean, this is a, a, a lazy take on my part, but the first Guardians is always going to be the best Guardians, if only because of the soundtrack. Soundtrack was awesome. That 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 was the best overall soundtrack for all the movies, and they they really worked it into the movie. Yeah, it, it made it sense. Yeah, it, it made sense, and and some of the some of the lyrics were were placed at certain times to kind of add to the story and guardians three had good music too, but it was, it was just a soundtrack. It was a lot of, it was just background stuff. I think they tried to fit as many fun songs as they could into it. And it just didn't, it just didn't register the same same way. Yeah, no, it it, it can't. Yeah. It's um, the first (sighs) one, you know, just, they took iconic music and kind of rebranded some of it and a little bit in the second guardians too. Like I hear rubber Mm -hmm. band, man, a song that I've been listening to my whole life. And I still think every time I hear Rubber Band Man now, I, I see them sitting in the cockpit and I see them singing that song and Gamora right. just kind of, you know, they've rebranded the song for me. And the, the first movie did a lot of that too. It's just, yeah, I can't just get over the like opening, coming. the opening, come and get, yeah, I just like, I, I grab my invisible rat and sing yep. to it every time I hear it. I don't care if I'm in public either. It's yep. just, it's good. Just grab an invisible <laughs> space rats. Right. Yeah. can't help it i'm married it's fine i don't need to impress anybody yeah anymore. it's fine yeah yeah it's good she knows what you got into probably <laughs> all right let's um should we do dad joke time um we, we can do dad jokes yeah are we gonna do that oh, my dad joke is related to your elephant story but i i guess i can absolutely mm. go before the story it makes well it's totally we, fine we could do we could do the elephant thing you know what we could do we could go super long because i was i was thinking about telling one of my long jokes that i have tonight but i also have just a nice short Wonderful yeah. joke. So a long joke. All right. right. We'll, we'll do it. Well, um, this? Let's tell six joke. hours and 12 minutes before I have to wake up. That's fine. I was going to say okay. so. Yeah, we're good. Let's, um, all right. I'll tell my long joke. All right. I have to put my game face on because this is one of those jokes that every so often I miss one or two of the details. Okay. So, um, a little while back, there was a young couple, Derek and Rose, um, high school sweethearts. Last night of high school, they decide to consummate their relationship since they're going separate ways, at least for the time being. Rose gets pregnant from their consummation. And they're young. They weren't really thinking things through while things considered. They decided to put their twins now up for adoption. That was just the whole, you know, everything was a whirlwind trying to decide what they're going to do after high school. And now they got twins on the way and they decide, you know what? We just can't handle this. We're going to put them up for adoption. Kids go off for adoption. About a year or two, maybe three later, they run into each other again. Uh, Turns out they both ended up back in their hometown. Old flare lights up and they decide to get married. So now they're married. They just decide not to have any more kids. Um, I think for Rose, it was too... It was just too hard, you know, that they they gave up their first set of twins. And even though she loves Derek, she just doesn't want to. It's like it's like kind of like an old hurt almost for her. So they still live a happy life. They're still doing their thing. They've got the house and the white picket fence, the whole nine yards, all that. But then about a year into their marriage, Rose decides, you know what? I really want to 
I really want to follow up on the boys because I just didn't do anything after that. I feel terrible about it. It's been, you know, eaten at her, away at her this whole time. So she calls the orphanage and finds out that both boys were adopted by separate parents. One of them actually kind of oddly, it was a, it was a whole um, verification process, but, but it was the family was from Saudi Arabia and they adopted him. And uh, just because they were infants at the time, they were allowed to, to do their own names with their own, you know, registrations. And they decided to name him Amal. And then the other family was a family that had come in from Mexico a few years before, and they decided to name their boy Juan. So anyway, that's nice. Seemed like nice families, got some money behind them, and they're having a good time. Finally, though, 18 years have passed since the boys were born, and Juan wants to write a letter to his biological parents. So he writes a letter saying, hi, mom and dad. This is Juan. Here's a picture of me and my family. I've got a girlfriend. I'm going to school. And it's just this nice thing. And Rose just eats it up, loves it. And then she starts crying uncontrollably almost. And Derek just looks at Rose and goes, Rose, what's what's going on? I thought this was I thought this would make you happy. And she goes, oh, it does make me happy. But I just I just wish I knew how Amal was doing and, and if he's got some of the same stuff going on. And Derek scoffs and he goes, please, Rose, they're twins. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. Nice. Ba-dum-tsh. Very nice. Thank you. I feel like there's Too a shorter bad. route to that punchline, but it's very No, nice. but that's the point is that you have to wait for it. And then you have to decide if it was really worth your time. And we're not editing that in post because I was talking <laughs> the whole time. All right. I'm going to tell a joke that is um, long, <laughs> but but not quite as long. Hopefully, uh, mm. hopefully people bear with me. You could um, try. Yeah, it's, it's, it is you a long try. one for you me, could, but it's not that long. Um, what do you get when you cross an elephant and a rhinoceros? Elephino. Good job. He knew it. Damn. Thank you. Right. Finally welcome. caught one. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Uh, I was gonna, I'm over like six at this point or something or over seven because you had the twofer. Well, you're one for seven now. Well, right. But that's what I'm saying. I was over six. Ah. Elef- now, now your batting average is no longer worse than one handed pitcher Jim Abbott. Now you're, you're probably better at batting average than him. That's, I don't feel any better. Thank you, though. <laughs> All right, let's talk some elephants, huh? Yeah, let's talk some elephants. So my other article was, uh, this is sorcery, elephant sorcery. Um, the Where I pulled this one was from worldofbuzz.com. I mean, I, I was digging a little bit, but it was a fun one. It was published four years ago at this point. It says, elephants walk 12 hours every year to pay respect to human friend who passed away seven years ago. So we're talking a decade now from, from today's timeframes. Uh, the TLDR, which for you other people like me out there who are like, what the hell does that mean? I've seen it. It means too long, didn't read. There was a guy who quit his job because of a difficult bunch of elephants. Um, what was his full name? So I know it's Lawrence. Let me find it. Pull the article back up. Lawrence Anthony. Here it is. Yeah. So Lawrence Anthony took it upon himself to accept these two herds of elephants into a reserve. Because they were they were rowdy elephants. Um, he did it because they were going to be killed if they didn't get taken in. And he worked a lot with them, and uh, I don't know, socialized them to a point, and and just it it became one of those you know turn on the TV. Here's a little you know bump about this guy that that loves his elephants and all that stuff. But so then anyway, after whatever it was, years and years with these elephants, he dies in 2012, and it was just a heart attack. So then. A year later, both herds walked to his house, his literal house, and they did it basically on the anniversary of his death. 
Uh, they said one herd arrived one day after the other. And his son said that they hadn't even been at the house for about a year and a half. And it probably took them about 12 hours of walking just with like regular, I don't know, elephant walking rates to make the journey. And then apparently they kept doing it every single year on March 2nd when he died. These herds came and stood outside of his house and they stood outside of his house for like a day or two or whatever. And it's just one of those people don't really know why, why they do this. It's that's why I call it sorcery, because I, I don't think there's any other explanation other than some sort of magnetism or or ethos or whatever you want to call it something something's there because i mean this is this should be one of those easily debunked like well they always go to like this watering hole every april and they just pass by his house because they like it and they can't get over themselves but apparently they like come here sit there for a day and go back so that's cool that's all i uh i i wish i was a especially an elephant whisperer too because one day uh my five-year-old was asking me if I could fight all these different animals. She was like, Daddy, could you fight a tiger? And I was like, yes, to let you guys get away while I get eaten. And then she's like, could you fight a goose? Probably. I would totally beat the goose. And then she goes, could you fight an elephant? And I said, I'm not even sure the elephant would know I'm fighting it. And, and my <laughs> wife laughed. <laughs> so, so being an elephant whisperer would be really great. I, I would I would fight an elephant. I feel like I could nimbly dodge it around. But I wouldn't want to play sports against an elephant. I feel like they'd be really good at squash. But um, there we go. Now I got a good one. I made up for yeah, the one that was finally got figured. one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was little, my parents would always be like, wow, look at how big the elephants are. And I would be like, yeah, so what? You know, when you're a kid and you're just like, you don't really have yeah. perspective for things. We went back to the zoo a couple of years ago and saw the elephants with my kids. And I was just sitting there like, holy shit, they're huge. Different perspective. Yep. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Oh, the larger male is like 16 feet tall. And I'm like, yeah, I can tell I would headbutt his knee. <laughs> <laughs> so my uh, wife loves elephants. She's that's, that's her, um, I wouldn't say spirit animal, but she, she just, there's something about elephants that she really likes. Um, they really speak to her and, uh, the musician that I represent. So Doug knows Big Lux Violin is, is a musician that I work with and I represent. Some of you probably don't know him. If you don't, you should look, you should him, look up. him up. Yeah. He actually does. He actually does some really cool like stuff. I, yeah. I do. I, I'm a fan. He's he's absolutely amazing. He's an electric violinist, plays a couple other instruments as well. He's a, a rapper. He, he does a lot of really neat things, but he is just a gifted musician and a special soul. He's also uh, the president of the town council in the town that he lives in right now. He's getting a law degree right now, and he's a professional musician. He's just he's astounding. Um, he's a combat veteran from the army. Uh, I've known him most of my life, and he's just just an amazing human being. I'm just lucky to know him. But we went to Roger Williams Park Zoo and played the violin for the elephants there. We went behind the stage, like behind the scenes and played the violin for these animals. He's got a viral video of him playing for the beluga whales, the Mystic Aquarium. And it was on Good Morning America and it got him an interview on the Kelly Clarkson show. Yeah, it, it went absolutely viral and millions and millions of views. And it's just him playing the violin for this beluga whale. And the thing is just fixated on him and it's the coolest thing. So we decided, well, let's go try getting some more animal footage. You know, let's go see what else responds. And we went to Roger Williams Park Zoo in Providence, Rhode Island. And they let us behind stage and behind the scenes. And we got some really neat stuff. And the, the macaws did not like him. The macaws wanted to fight him. They wanted that violin as far away as possible. There was one that would bob its head, nod, and everything else was like, come near me with that death magic and I will kill you. Like they did not care for the strings. And they're more into like drowning pool. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. 
So so that was awkward. That one was for the birds. But uh, when we got to... And you were on a roll tonight. I am. I'm sorry. a hot dog, man. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. When we got to the elephants, that was one that we were really excited about. And literally, he starts playing this violin. And we went beyond where, where people can go, but we still had to be outside of like the final fencing area. Like we couldn't go into that final fence, but we went beyond the viewing fence and right up against it. And he starts playing his violin and these three elephants just like walk across this field to come see what's going on. And it's, I don't know, 150 yards, 200 yards maybe. And they just come walking all the way across and they're within like three feet, four feet of him. And they're just like staring at him. And he starts walking back and forth up and down the the, uh, the exhibit and they're following him along the fence line. He's like the Pied Piper, except he's got these elephants following him. And it was just the coolest thing to see. And they were so into it. It was, uh, it was neat. It was cool to see them react. And there was definitely something going on. You know, you look at their, their faces and sometimes you look at animals and you look them in the eyes and you're just imagining it. But sometimes like you really feel like there is something going on beyond those eyes. And I really felt with the elephants, there was a curiosity and there was something interesting and, and they kind of wanted him. I feel like they wanted him in there. They were very welcoming and they were just so docile and so calm and so fixated. It was really, really cool. But yeah, for the, for the plug one more time, it's Big Lux Violin. <laughs> you can find his website at bigluxviolin.com. And if you like that website, come see me and I'll build you one too. Yeah, no, it's a, it was a great experience and we've got footage of it and, and we did for a bunch of animals, but the elephants had the coolest reaction. The monkeys were, were kind of whatever. They swung around and checked him out and went back to doing their thing. The macaws hated him, like I said. There was a wolf that was kind of interested and curious and wanted to come see him, but obviously we couldn't get too close to the wolf. Um, it was neat. We did some cool stuff. It was it was a cool experience. But the elephants were, that that was the moment. They were really neat. Nice. All right. So now Doug's done talking about death and bringing you all down. Yeah, I let's, let's talk about to talk about something that really pissed me off. All right. We'll start. <sighs> All right, we're going to bleacherreport.com. Cannot wait for the football season to start. Bleacherreport.com, August 29th. Jonathan Taylor rumors, Colts running back not traded, expected to miss first four games with injury. Deep breath before I get on my soapbox here. Okay, get on your soapbox. I'll be right back. All right, I'm on my soapbox. Go ahead. Let's see. You already done with your soapbox? Done with my soapbox. Yeah, Doug just came back and I'm all done. Okay. Yeah, no, I just had a uh, wife wanted me to come up real quick for kiddo's lunch. Well, because as I said, I think last time we were starting school the next day. And so now we're we're all in it. Daughter's doing great. But obviously, you know, one day, did you eat your lunch? Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah. You open it up. Still full. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Like there was two two pieces of like the little cheese pieces that we did were eaten and then like maybe the the olive she ate the olives whatever and then the next day it's like holy crap it's all gone and (laughs) and then the day after you didn't even eat any of your lunch she goes or your afternoon snack she goes yes i did i had a carrot yeah Yeah, it sounds like we're going through that yeah i know lots of other parents have come and gone the the trail has already been blazed in a way but in another way you all have your own trail with stuff like this so we're just going through it but it was, um, yeah. I don't know Good. if it was a book or if it was someone who just gave me advice that I took to heart. I don't remember where I heard it now. And I wish that I, I wish that I remembered, but something we picked up somewhere along the lines was, you know, you, you can't, don't worry about it. If you're not forcing your kids to eat, if you can't get them to eat the food you want them to eat, mm-hmm. or even to eat as much, like, don't worry about how much they eat or what they eat. Just worry about doing your job, which is to put different foods in front of them all the time and to provide the foods to them. 
And mm-hmm. if they're hungry, they will eat. And you know, if they need it, they will eat. And eventually, if you keep putting new different colors and things on their plate, they will eventually try it. So just keep doing that and, and try not to be upset, angry, disappointed, scared. If you know they're not eating their vegetables, if they're not trying new fruits, if they don't like food that's green or food that's purple, or they want ketchup on absolutely freaking everything, just you know, <laughs> keep, keep putting new things in front of them. And yeah, eventually they'll get there. Just don't beat yourself up over it in the process. That was uh, that's something we took to heart a while back and i'm glad we did because my kids very picky it helps I, I had something similar we um years ago my my mother said that she was reading a study of, and it was a toddler study about diets and and they found that literally i don't i don't remember the exact number forgive me but it, it was statistically significant ish like 100 toddlers or 78 toddlers or something like that like it wasn't just like five they saw how many calories or how much food they ate over the course of weeks. And they found that it was really just crazy. You know, one day they would eat literally nothing. And then the next day they would eat like more than a full grown man. And it was just always crazy. But they found that over the course of like a week or a month or whatever, they always ate basically exactly what you would expect them to eat just over the course of time. And and, and all you had to do was make food available. And they would choose what they want to eat and they would eat certain things at certain times and they'd have more or less. And it was just basically your job as a parent is just to make sure food is available and they'll take care of the rest. And we really needed to take that one to heart too, because we needed it also, but it seems to work. I mean, same yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Don't beat yourself up, dads. You're doing what you can do. You are doing what you need to do. You're doing great. We love you. We love you. And thanks well, for I was, listening. Yeah. So what did you actually recap me on what you said while I was while I was upstairs? Real oh, quick? no, that's a surprise. You can check that out when you, when you listen no, to the No, you're probably going to say some stupid stuff again about like, oh, you know, hey, Doug. Blah, no, blah, blah, no, blah. no, no, no. I, I surely didn't say anything like that. No. You probably not. did. No, I certainly did not. You'll have to listen to it tomorrow. No, I know. I, I know you will. <laughs> It's it's the little things. It's the, the little things. The very little things. The little things. They're they're more important than the four million or ten million dollars in life, you know? Oh, mm. what a great segue, Tom. Good job. Oh yeah. Jonathan job. Taylor okay. rumors. Colts wait, running back. Wait, where's your traded. soapbox? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sitting on it. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. All right. Go. Uh Colts running back not traded, expected to miss first four games with injury, August 29th. Boy, did this story piss me off. Um so there are, there are not for the reasons Doug probably thinks. I'm a, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, and Doug probably thinks I'm mad because he wasn't traded to the Dolphins, and that's that's not what this is. I am I am I am really agitated because of the the way this whole story has has gone, the timeline for this. So for those who don't know, Jonathan Taylor is a running back in the NFL, and two years ago was probably the best or second best running back in the NFL. Clearly, he was a top five back, and he was probably one of the two best. Plays for the Indianapolis Colts, or or rather, he's on their roster. He's not playing for them for a while now. He's on his rookie year, his rookie deal. So the way that the structure works, the players have a union, and the union for the the players creates this collective bargaining agreement with the NFL ownership, and it sets forward all the rules for structuring contracts and how things are supposed to go and how things are played out and when they can negotiate contracts and all of the logistics of it. And it's agreed to by the players' union which is built up of former NFL players and lawyers and current NFL players sit in this as well. This gentleman had a, uh, a four-year contract with the Colts, and this year is due to make $4.02 million to play football for six months, not make the playoffs with a team that's not going to make the playoffs, and then go back to living life. Oh, um, man, you're going right for the throw. I, I'm, I'm upset, man. I'm upset. Sorry, this one hurt me. Apparently, $4 million is not enough money for this man to play football. 
Uh, he's he wants way more money because two years ago he was one of the best backs in the NFL, and and he feels today he's one of the best backs in the NFL. So he wants more money. He wants a contract extension. He wants them to give him four years, fifty million, most of it guaranteed. So he wants twelve and a half million dollars per year, which is not what running backs in the NFL make right now. They just they just don't. Dalvin Cook just signed a one year deal. He's top ten back in the NFL, and he got eight point six million. Is the max he can make with incentives. Uh, Saquon Barkley just signed with the Giants, the team he's been with forever, and he's going to get like eleven point six million maximum with a, like eleven million guaranteed and like another six hundred thousand to a million in, in incentives if he kicks butt. Like these are premier running backs, and and still not making twelve and a quarter million a year. Like that's that's just not where they're at. And this guy has the audacity while he's under contract to to say I want this amount of money and nothing less is going to make me happy. And oh, you don't want to give it to me. Instead of playing the last year on my contract for you, all oh, my ankle hurts. I'm sorry. I, I, I can't play anymore. My ankle hurts. Put me on the injury list. I, I can't play. Sorry. When last year, this gentleman was not even a top 20 running back in the NFL. He played 11 games. He had an ankle injury. He had to have surgery on his ankle. He did. And, uh, and he played 11 games and didn't finish in the top 20 in yards per carry, in efficiency, in yards over expectation. He was not a top 20 running back. And he's commanding the most money of any running back in the NFL in his mind is what he wants. I am so sick of people who don't appreciate what they have. And I am so sick of people who take things for granted like this. This gentleman is living the dream. I don't know many people I grew up with that didn't want to play professional sports as an adult. Like that was all of our dreams. I wanted to pitch for the Boston Red Sox or play defensive end for the Miami Dolphins. That's what I wanted to do. I knew I wasn't going to tell him to play basketball. Hold on. Those are really different sports aspirations. Oh, they they really are. I didn't care which one it was, but I wanted one of those two jobs. That was what I wanted when I grew up. This guy is 23 years old, is going to make $4 million this year, at least $10 million next year. If he gets franchise tagged, he'd get $10.03 million next year. Probably get that again the following year because they'd probably franchise tag him again, or they would sign him to an extension. And instead, he's holding out and deciding not to play, screwing this team that went out and drafted a very young quarterback to take over the helm and was counting on him to make this kid's transition easier and and job better. And he's so selfish and so unappreciative of the blessings he has in life that he would rather sit out and fake an injury than play football and make $4 million. Back in April, there was an interview with him where he specifically said, no, I'm not going to hold out. I signed a contract for four years. I am obligated to them for this year. They're obligated to me. I'm obligated to them. I'm obligated to me too, but but I signed a contract and I'm going to honor my contract. And it's it's the right thing to do is to honor my contract and play with these guys. And in a matter of a few months, somehow he flipped the script and decided, no, no, I want all my money. I want all the money. Give it all to me. That's not enough. He is so damn greedy that they couldn't trade him right now if they wanted to. They just went through like a week-long stretch where they tried to trade him. And according to reports, they had outrageous asks. They were asking for packages way more valuable than a running back in the NFL. But the the bottom line is, even if somebody had traded for him, they would have had to have signed him to a new contract first. No one's going to give up premier assets for one year of a broken running back who was done a top 20 back last year. And uh, and their asking price was too high. And teams are not willing to pay him this $12.5 million that he wants. For me, I am just... I don't understand... Why, when we agree to do something, it's a good deal for us at the time. We can't honor the agreement. I, I don't, if things happen and you physically can't perform, I get it. I get it. If a situation changes and it's a toxic environment, 
Sure, I get that too. You want a way out. But in this case, a few months ago, he was talking about how happy he was to be where he was. They would work it out. He was obligated. He was going to fulfill his, his commitment. And now all of a sudden, nope, I want more money. And I'm just so sick of greed. I just, I'm glad I'm not a Colts fan. I would be up in arms over this. I remember when Ricky Williams did something very similar to Miami Dolphins, but his motivation wasn't money. His motivation was, I don't want to go to work. I just want to bang on the drum and smoke pot all day. It's different. It, it felt much less selfish to me. And this Ooh. is frustrating. Oh and, man, this should have been its own topic. Oh, it could have been. I, I You're go saying so many things that like, I mean, I agree with you on a lot of it, but like the whole, oh, I just want to bang on a drum and smoke pot all day. To me, that's more selfish. No, because, because you've already made your million, but you've already made your millions, and now you're wanting to like get out in the middle of it. Sure, like sure. that's even worse. I mean, at least this guy's asking for another team. Okay, you know what? I'll let you finish. You're no, on a roll. No, that, Keep going. Fine. Keep no, going, hot fine. dog. We can debate Ricky after this too. It just it, it it upsets me that the guy is now faking this injury. He's claiming you know his surgery in January and his ankle is not right. His surgery in in, in January was an arthroscopic defri- uh, defibrillation. I think they're they're arthroscopically going in and just like cleaning up the tendons. It's like two to four weeks off your feet is literally what it is. If this happened in season to a player in four weeks, they'd be back on the field. That's how this works. But yeah, this guy just, as a man who started his own business during the pandemic and works a lot of jobs that are not fun and are not fulfilling on sort of a self-actualization level that aren't what I want to be doing. They're not writing novels. They're not publishing short stories. They're not working on comedy skits with people. They're not working with content creation. They're, they're not doing the fun things I want to do. I do what I have to do to put food on the table for my kids and to provide for my family and to take care of my mortgage and to give my wife some kind of a reason to stick with me because I outkicked my coverage and I have no idea why she's still with me after 16 years. Obviously. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad she is. Don't get me wrong. But I work jobs that are not fun, that I do not enjoy because they pay decent money and they provide for my family. This guy has the dream job, literally a job people would injure and maim and possibly kill to have. And $4 million is not enough incentive for him to do this job, to be adored by people, to be on a poster on a kid's wall and be a hero, especially knowing that you've got $10 million coming next year, $10 million coming the year after, and probably a big contract after that. I agree that there are some problems with running back contract structures in the NFL. I agree that they're a hard work position and it's probably um, the lowest demand there's been for a running back in a long time. But at the end of the day, you don't get to dictate the market. The market dictates you. And and that sucks and it's unfortunate, but that's real life world. It's the real life economy. I don't get to decide how much my 3M stock is worth. I don't. It's not how that works. I don't get to decide what a graphic designer with 20 years of experience is worth. There's a market for these things, and it's established by greater powers than just me. And the amount of entitlement that this guy has and the way that he flipped the script on his original position in just a few months, it really upset me when I saw this and saw the numbers and then saw he was going to stay on the pup and miss four games of the year and screw an entire franchise and and screw an ownership base and screw a fan base. Man, I'm just sick of selfish people in the world. And that's my soapbox. Hi, everybody. Welcome to One Dad Talking. Just kidding. I'm totally, I've, I've done this a couple of times already where it's just like, oh, that was how long? Seven minutes? Yeah. Doug's on a roll. Let him go. Um, yeah, you're right. I um, I did not expect that to be your take from this that, man, you really just kind of are, are stuck on the player selfishness side of it, which don't get me wrong. I mean, there is some of that here. Um, this is one of those things that I think is, I don't even know where to start for my own takes on this. One thing that's that sticks out perfectly clear for me 
is that this article should have been titled Jim Irsay proves yet again that he is the luckiest son of a bitch in the world and doesn't actually know how to run a football team because the dude got Peyton Manning and he had Peyton Manning for how long? 14 years? Over 16 years? Something like that? And Peyton Manning goes to freaking neck surgery and they have a year of, oh, no, we don't have Peyton Manning anymore. So, of course, you're going to suck because that's just how it goes. And then you get Andrew Luck. And Andrew Luck was, what, eight years? Six or eight or something? I think it was he more would... like five or six. He retired yeah. early. You know what? Let me pull it up because this is because this is this is our, no, I don't want Andrew Tate. Google, please leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Uh, Andrew, Andrew Luck career. Andrew Tate, Andrew Luck. What's the difference? They're basically the same. They all made basically the same life decisions, right? More or less. Holy crap. Oh, let's see. He played 86 games over his career. So let's math it real quick. That's like, yeah, that's like five. That's like five seasons or something. You're probably right. Less than six. Yeah. Yeah. That's five to six. I think they had a playoff game or two in there. So let's call it five. It's probably five. It's it's probably five. You're probably right. But so you, you have literally two decades of better quarterback play than you could hope for. I mean, you pretty much have to sign a contract with something not of this world <laughs> to to guarantee at least quarterback play like like this guy had. And he has premier running back and premier running back wants to leave. So I, I was reading this article almost as like, of course he wants to leave because Jim Irsay sucks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He shows up half of his interviews. He's Three sheets to the wind, I I swear, the way he wobbles and just he's always flush and everything like that. We mentioned Skip Bayless. What who else did we mention last podcast? Oh, Charlie Weiss. Yeah. yeah. So Jim Irsay is another one of those guys who probably knows way more about business management and football than I ever will. But I'm just gonna still like take ad hominem attacks right to him right here. Yep. This is our this is our platform, baby. We mm-hmm. get to pretend we're experts for an hour yeah. a night. Yeah. So I mean, I definitely agree with you that the market is the market. If running backs are not as valuable, they're not as valuable. And and the rest of us have to deal with that. You know, oh, no one, no one wants someone to be hand screwing door handles on car doors anymore because a machine can do it. And, you know, I mean, to borrow the the Twitter thing, learn to code. You have to you have to find something else to do if you want to be productive in society. And that's kind of where running backs are at right now is. You just have to accept that your value is lower and you you may not be able to get another position because that's just who you are. You maybe kind of got pigeonholed into it, but you just got to accept it. Um, the NFL minimum salary, I looked it up while you were soapboxing, is $660,000-ish. A couple of sites said that. So I'm just trying to, for for the rest of us, we, we normal folk peoples, being a 100K a year household is not that bad. I mean, even right now, like, I mean, sure, there's there's plenty of stuff you can't do with a salary like that. But if you're if you're 100K a year, you're you know, you're you, you can still manage and, and still have some real niceties in life. I mean, federal poverty level is what, 60,000, I think, for like, say, a, a four person household. I, think if I remember correctly. I feel like it it's around be. 40. Is it 40? You might be right. But but so that's the point is that if you're you're you have if you have, you know, you and someone else and a couple of kids, you're looking at 40K as as where okay now you're really struggling so most people are probably at 60 70 80 something like that 100k a year is i mean you're not like you know scrooge or anything you know but but you're not half bad so if you even make an nfl roster you're making 
six years worth of not a bad household income. So when you're sitting there saying, hey, I want $10 million, it's like, okay, well, that's 100 years of 100K a year if you get that. So I, I get that side of things. But on the flip side, if you really are a premier running back that literally puts cheeks in seats, I can't really fault you for trying to get yours when, and I mean, we don't know what what all went behind the scenes. I mean, he probably, I mean, yeah, I'd love to stay here. Great. I signed a four-year contract and that's all true. But maybe he said that when his agent was telling him, hey, three of the last four times this happened, they got a new contract beforehand. And, you know, and what you need to do is you need to not piss off your team. You know, you just need to you need to show that you're committed and 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 the proper thing to do is that they'll they'll treat you right on the back end. And maybe the Colts didn't. And he's like, OK, well, fuck you then. I'm not going to you didn't treat me right. I'm not going to treat you right. And especially in the NFL, one play, you're gone. You know, you get your knee wrangled up or or anything and, and you're you're out. And, you know, you can still get other jobs. But if you have some bad injuries, you don't get a chance to do other stuff. I mean, you do kind of look at I mean. People are going to look out for their lifestyle first, but I mean, he's looking at, you know, I might not be playing after this year if something bad happens to me. So you got to get as much as you can now. And so I can't also, I also can't fault him for that either. If he's one of the better NFL running backs, why wouldn't he go get more value? Cause that's what he is. And I get that. And I'm on board with that. And honestly, that's, that's part of what makes me so mad about this whole thing is that when it started, I was firmly in the camp of pay that man, his money, you know, John Malkovich, give that man, his money, just pay him. Because he was the focal point of that offense. He was the reason people came to watch your games as a Colts fan. They certainly weren't coming to watch Matty Ice, 75-year-old Matt Ryan. You know, they weren't coming to watch him play. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, give or take. He was the reason people came. And when this whole drama started, I was firmly in the camp of, you need to pay that man. If if, if he wants $12.5 million, you need to pay him 10 and make it work. Like, Give him ten million, and Jim Mercey dug his heels in right away and said, "Nope, we're not paying him any extra money. He owes us another year. The, the collective bargaining agreement says this. We, we debated it in good faith. We, we found it. We're not paying him. I'm a bad football owner and a bad manager, and I'm not paying him. And okay, I, I, I can respect that. But I did want this man to get paid, and I did feel he deserved it. And I was firmly in his camp when things started. But then he went on this long rant about how he's doing this for other running backs. This is not about him. It's not about him, Doug. It's not about him wanting money. It's not about him deserving money." He's doing this for all the other running backs to come and setting a good precedent for them so that they're not underpaid. He has to set a good market for other running backs. Meanwhile, every other free agent running back, except for Leonard Fournette, I think, has signed a deal sometime well, in the last year. Leonard Fournette's a different, yes. he's a head case. That he is not a job. I but. wouldn't be surprised if he was like, no, I've done enough. I'm done. I'm happy. I made my money. I'm done. Like, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he pseudo Ricky Williams this. But don't pretend like you're doing this sort of thing altruistically. And for others, if you're really just doing it because you're greedy and that's well, what no, this- you, you got to look out for number one, but then you can help out number two and number three. And- sure. But you can be honest <laughs> yeah. about it and you don't have to make yourself seem like you're some, some new martyr and but some that's new Christian the problem, figure though. in the NFL world. Well, yeah, but see, here's the problem. If he comes out and he, and he's honest and he says, Hey, listen, and, and, and from a sports perspective, you have to believe that you're the best, or at least you have yep. to believe that you can be the best if certain things align for you. Otherwise you just don't make it to this level practically. Yep. I mean, or it's, it's, it's a little bit harder. I mean, you know, you always have to have that edge when you're, when you're competing, I, I guess for me, it's one of those things where he, what we don't know what happened behind the scenes. So I'm saying, what if someone was, was just a huge jerk off to him? What if they said, Hey, listen, 
you're not getting any more money. And in fact, we're not even going to extend you after this. Like you're going to be a free agent, free market next year because we just lucked into drafting you. And and just so you know, like someone thought they were trying to hardball him slash be nice to him and tell him like, you don't even have a deal after this with us. If you think you're one of the best at your position, you know, in the world, and someone tells you that, you kind of have an automatic, like, well, F you then kind of personality. And what do you do? Do do you go out to the world and say, and, and just start like throwing out everybody's trash and just saying, hey, my owner said this, or my GM said this, or my agent told me they said this. And like, and then you look like the bad guy. I mean, I guess from a politics perspective or a social media perspective, do you say F you GM? Or do you say, uh, turns out my ankle's still owie. And really in the background, y'all know what's up is that you're playing this like cat and mouse game with the GM of give me more money. Or since you basically insulted me to my face, now guess what? One of the things I can do is I can force you to either release me where I can get a better contract with some other team this year, or you can put me on the pup list. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here and saying, yeah. hey, we don't know what actually is going on behind the scenes, but we all know that if someone pissed him off and he's rightfully pissed off, he cannot come out and say it. That's what I disagree because with. He it, absolutely can. Have you heard of James Harden? So. Have you heard of James Harden? James Harden shoots 55 free throws a, a game. I don't like him. Yeah, this, this, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but it's exactly what James Harden did three weeks ago. He came out and said, no, the owner of the, the Sixers is a scumbag, and he but doesn't honor his word, and he's a liar. Different sport, and I'll never though, be different involved culture, in too. That's a little bit different, though. You have uh, like a, the Ron Artests and all that stuff. Jonathan Taylor. Okay. Running backs are not superstars. They're not. I'm sorry. Most of them. And most people, even though they have enormous egos, which again, it's kind of like the Usain Bolt analogy when like Usain Bolt is like a major asshole, apparently to everybody who knows him. And, and it's like one of my buddies said, he's like, you know, if you're maybe legitimately the fastest person in human history, I I think I'd be kind of a dick too. I was like, well, you know, yeah, you're kind of right. But, you know, it, most people do at least have some attachment to reality to to make it where they've made it. And so he's probably very well aware that he's one of the best running backs in the NFL, but he's not a superstar. You can't do that. Aaron Rodgers can do that. And he did. Because he did. Yeah. That dude's been around forever. Side note. He's yeah. been in the league for like 16 years or 19 40 years. 40 this something. year. I know. It's nuts. I still remember making fantasy football decisions based off of him finally getting the full start yep. when I was in college. And I was like, oh, yeah, he really is old for a long time. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of this. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I guess I more agree with you than don't that if you're making more than the, the veterans minimum, you're doing all right. Some of us have to make those decisions. You know, OK, we're not going to go out to eat twice a week anymore, or once a week anymore, or yeah. we're going to this restaurant instead of this restaurant. We often make those decisions. And half of these NFL players, at least, get to play the game they love, do what they were doing in high school and college anyway that they love anyway, and they're making millions of dollars for it. And yet it is hard to feel bad for them because a lot of us, um, especially being a Browns fan, if someone was like, hey, Doug. We're going to sign you to the veterans minimum contract, 600K. You you get to, you have to go through training camp and you're going to vomit your guts up like every day as you get into shape. And you're going to go out there and you have to try to play X number of snaps for us. I would just get absolutely obliterated. I'd do it. I'd probably do it. I would, I would talk to my wife. Hey, how do you feel about me being in a wheelchair for the rest of my life? But hey, we, <laughs> but, but we got like a decade's worth of income basically. All right, so, so 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 here's one slightly different. 
I could be a bad uh, kicker. I could be a bad kicker. I could I could get the the year deal and I and and Cleveland's already got a bunch of those. Didn't you just release your kicker? No, right? (laughs) We did. Well, he's on the practice squad now. So there you go. That's not the same thing at all. Yeah, right. You know. Go ahead. Sorry. This see, this is why this could be a topic because it just goes. Like someone was writing an article the other day about how, hey, guess what? GMs actually are bad at drafting. And I was like, I could email the Browns right now and be like, hey guys, hire me for yeah. half of whatever you're paying Andrew Barry, and you'll get at least half of what he's given you. It's yeah. a good deal economically. That's all, all right, you so, want. So so if Mike Tyson in his prime was like, yo, Doug. We're going to have a boxing match. We're going to have an he exhibition ex- match. He would explode my I, face. I will give you 11 months and 26 days to train, professionally train for this. I will pay you $660,000 to fight me one night. And you get 11 months and 26 days to train. And then a couple of days off. And on that one-year mark, we're going to fight. So $660,000 for one year to fight Mike Tyson. Would you do it? Can you guarantee that I won't die? Nope. No me. guarantees. No guarantees. Yeah. No. That makes it tough. If, if there's no if there's no guarantee of life afterwards, I might actually say no. But if we're now if if that's six million, you know, like a Floyd Mayweather kind of thing where a loser's bag is, you know, six or ten million bucks or something, I, I could do that. Because I mean again Well Floyd Mayweather's just, also not going to physically kill you in the ring. He's going to you, punch you, you and make you look you don't you don't but know. he's not going to kill you. That's not his Man, style. You know what? Someone who's a professional fighter of anything, it, it's different. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. like I, I agree. I've like Mike, a couple. Mike Tyson is more likely to kill me. I mean, he literally eats ears, so you know, he has a taste for it. He didn't but, eat it, he spit it back out. He just chewed on it. Well, because it's bad taste. There you go. There you go. Very it. nice. <laughs> so but yeah, I mean, it's it's 600K. No, no, not for 600K. But once you get into like millions, now we're talking because I'm sitting there and, and this happened with the because the mega millions was up to, you know, whatever, a billion dollars the other day. And and my favorite thing I ever saw on the Internet was someone said uh, mega millions jackpot one in 300 million chance of winning. Well, that could be me. Chances of crashing while texting and driving one in 60,000. Ah, that won't be me. You never, you, you know, well, you never know. <laughs> Is it really only one in 300 million? Is that really? It's 330 million or something like that. But I think that's per ticket officially because it's just, you know, randomized numbers. So sure. But, but they... that means that if you if you calculate the odds and you look at the pot odds and the value, that means that anytime the jackpot is over 400 million you're actually getting the right odds to play no because it costs two dollars to to buy a ticket so that's so the the pool officially goes up to 600 million if you do one trial like that but i think it's also just each individual ticket so it's like it's like the poker thing like if you play 10 hands just because you didn't hit a flush your first nine hands it doesn't mean you have better odds to hit the flush on your 10th hand it just means you have the same odds so i mean I, i think that's how they get it is that even though it's one in 300 and 25 million or something you go one round you know of no winners you you've made money now as as the state especially because most people will take the lump sum option instead of the annuity option hmm. but anyway beside the point um well, sign me up to fight iron mike for six hundred thousand dollars no well so I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking if mike kills me which you get 600k plus life insurance man you're just doing great. non-zero chance life insurance for that yeah. are you sure oh i'm sure I, if, you, if you die on the job i think it pays double under most policies hello, hello mr life insurance policy guy <laughs> i'm gonna step into the ring with mike tyson in a year will you insure me he'll be like get the hell out of my office <laughs> but you sign the life insurance policy before the contract <laughs>
Oh, so insurance fraud is what you're saying. <laughs> it's not fraud. No, you it's not. knew that you were going to be stepping in the ring with Mike Tyson when you signed this policy, do, and you didn't. Do they ask you? Us. Do they ask you as part of that screening if you're going to step into the ring to do combat with with a killer? I don't think they do. Hey, Dad, why do insurance policies ask if you're going to engage in a professional boxing match in the next 24 months? Well, son, one time we call that the shooter clause. <laughs> we call that the shoot-a clause. <laughs> oh man. But no, I wouldn't do it for six hundred thousand. I'm just sitting there thinking, like, if I die because Mike Tyson is a is a bad man and and very strong and a professional fighter and all that, I would want to know that my family has a hundred k per year minimum for basically the rest of their lives. And I'm thinking like hundred k post tax, not pre tax, because you know I don't want them to have to to want for anything. And so that's let's be generous. I would have lived another fifty years. 100k a year that's 5 million bucks but really you know it, it after tax you're going up to like 6 7 8 so like that's why I'm talking like 6 million like okay we can at least talk about it hmm. interesting i mean like for for me to to risk actual death because the other side of this too is there's this this hard quantify this non quantifiable stuff of like if i die in the ring it's not just that i want my family to be taken care of it's that i lost time with my family yeah and, and we're going to get sappy and emotional and all that. And maybe it's because my daughter's going to school and like, I never really want to like, I'm not going to cry in front of a bunch of other kids because I'm a man, but I'm a man. I'm a man. Every time I drop my daughter off at school now, just these last couple of days, it's it's like, wow. You know, and, and for, for those of you dads out there that have gone through this already or are going through this with later grades, I get it. It's awesome to just see your kid growing up and and you do kind of do that whole, like, where did it go? Like, how did you get this old? But you know, it's, it's fantastic. And I just, I want to see my daughters and soon my son just grow up to be better than me, which shouldn't be that hard, but you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I want to do that. You know, a little bar there, Doug. Mike, Mike Tyson <laughs> insurance fraud might stop that. Oh, see, I, I guess maybe because oh. of the, um, I guess probably for a lot of reasons I look at it differently, but, but well, you were staring down the barrel of a lot of stuff for a while there too. So you're yeah. kind of sitting there thinking it'd be nice to just have had a couple extra bucks at certain yeah. times. So yeah, I've, I've, I've already faced death more than one occasion and uh, been yeah. fortunate to escape it. But yeah, for me, you know, it's like, you know, death can come anytime anyway. Perfectly healthy. Right. Look at my good friend and I don't want to put her name out here, but look at her. She yeah. found a four centimeter tumor and a two centimeter tumor in her brain out of the blue didn't know it was there things can happen literally anytime um you could live to be 99 like bob barker or or you can go and you're almost made it yeah almost made it (laughs) to be crass almost made it yeah or or something can just take you completely out of the blue even if you're in good health held my procedure last week no idea what to expect and turns out i've been internally bleeding for at least four or five months and no one picked up on it on a cat scan and it, it took a random procedure to, to find it and figure out what was going on, but I've been hemorrhaging for like five months and no one figured out that was why I had, you know, blood in my stool. There's a lovely moment for the podcast. You can go at any I'm time. I'm going to put it in the episode summary. I'm going to be like <laughs> Tom's bloody stool. Bloody, bloody poo. The mystery of Tom's bloody poo <laughs> solved. Turns out he's been hemorrhaging for five months and he's a man, so he didn't know. Also, um, Jonathan Taylor and Mike Tyson, and people would be like, what the <laughs> hell did they talk about in this episode? <laughs> the thumbnail for this one's going to be great. But no, I mean, I, because you can be snuffed out at any time anyway, no matter how good health you're in, no matter what you're doing to prevent it. You know, if I've got a chance to go out there and do something great, even if it has a little bit of risk, you know, I, I, I firmly believe in taking chances to do great things. And I would want to fight Mike Tyson. I, I would want to 
to step in the ring and with no expectations that I would win, even with, you know, I've, I've got a little bit of boxing in my background and a lot of fighting, but you know, I, I would have zero expectation to win, but I would be really curious to be like, man, could, could I make it through two rounds? Could I make it through one round? Like how, how, how far can I go with this? You know, you can get snuffed out anyway, but if I could go and do that and walk out of it with $600,000 at the end, my wife and I both make pretty good money. You know, we're not wealthy by any stretch, but we make good money. $600,000 is life-changing money. We're, we're debt-free. We own our house. We get a trip to nice. Disney World with the family. Oh, I'm not saying that. we do. No, I'm saying if we have oh, $600,000. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, wow. No, no, no. We do not own our what house. Kind of, no, we're, we're not What there. kind of money do you um, make? <laughs> no, not that kind of money. Um, but no, with $600,000, right. we would. And that, we that like pays changing. off the house. And, that, yeah. Yeah. And, and my quality of life with my kids after that would be very different. My, my daughter wants nothing more than to go to Disney World. And now my son wants to too. And for me, frankly, I'm like, honey, that, that trip starts at like $10,000. Sorry, we cannot go to Disney World. I would love to take my kids to Disney World, but you're looking at $10,000 minimum to take a family of five to Disney World right now for a few days. It's just, it's just not in the cards. And, and if, if I were debt-free and I had some money in the bank and I had that 600K and whatever money I scored from, you know, guest talk interviews where I'm speaking through a wired jaw and, you know, okay. I, I, I could make a little <laughs> bit more money there. Yeah, legitimately, if I had $600,000 cash right now, um, I would probably pay off all my debts and I would be playing poker professionally. Um, and that's what I would be doing with my life. And I would have a lot of time with my kids and I would have more time with my wife. Yeah, that'd be life-changing money. So for 600 grand, Mike Tyson, even in his prime, sign me up and hopefully I make it around. Probably not, but hopefully he you know, goes a little easy on me and he wants to drag it out and embarrass me and I get to go one round and feel really good about myself. But I would, in a heartbeat, sign me up. So I guess just different perspectives. But right. again, I'm someone who's already, you know, I was supposed to die 20 years ago and I didn't. So, I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's another good perspective, though, too, because, yeah, so to me, 600K is not life-changing. I would do the same thing, by the way. Well, okay, mostly. So one thing that um, me and my wife did when we when we sold our first house because it was a good market, we took a large chunk of the money that we got, and we, we went in halvesies on an office building. And it's been some work, you know, and upgrades and everything else like that. But so when I say 600K is not life-changing, it's because we probably wouldn't completely pay off anything we would probably put a decent chunk towards the house we would probably buy out our business partners partners on the partners. on the office building partners <laughs> you just nah. you just made that from that really, was you know really what that was sound you know what was, really that was that was nab creek talking <laughs> probably at this point because i'm on my what third one now or something uh, i'm still working um, on my first class but i poured it pretty tall like like a girl. dummy instead of instead of pouring two fingers i made it pretty right. tall right no that's fair but, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking what we would do is we would look at this money and say, okay, we'll put a chunk towards our home principal. We'll pay off our partners on the office building so that we can have that just be our own, you know, asset growing on the side. And then we'd take the remaining, you know, whatever we'd have, 100 or 150. And, and <laughs> we'd probably be like, okay, well, let's start a business with this or let's invest it in something else. And, and so in one sense, it wouldn't be life-changing because it would just be another asset. Life-changing to me is, is in the millions because that's where you can legitimately quit jobs and say, I know I'm getting this amount every year. And as long as you have enough fortitude to set up a trust yeah. to say, hey, I only get X maximum every year unless, you know one of us dies kind of thing, then, then I think that's, that's where you have, you're just a whole different level. And I think it depends on the person too. I mean, like some people would sit there and I mean, like I know like when, cause one of my coworkers asked me on that last big mega millions, he said, what would you do with, you know, whatever it was, 
$600 million. And I said, the first thing I would do is I would pay off, you know, our house, I would pay off our grandparents, yep. everything, and just make sure all the immediate family members are just hundred percent taken care of. And then the next thing I do is I would create a scholarship or I'd, or I went to Notre Dame. So I would, I would make sure that there was the shooter building or something like that, you know, and that's all, that only costs, you know, 25 or 30 million bucks. So chump change at that point. But he looked at me and he was like, interesting. So you would do something for other people? And I was like, <laughs> yes, slash, it's not really because I get to put my name on a building. It's a little <laughs> like, self-serving. It's, not, it's yeah. not it's not that humble per se, but but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like it just it makes more sense to do that kind of stuff for me. I mean, life changing is millions because that's when I can really pay off everything and still do the whole world impact thing. And and I don't know. I think that's because I never became a cop and I've come to grips with the fact that I would never become a cop. But if I could go back and do it again, I probably would become a cop. But I also had the same sort of semi-pass as you because I had to stare down potential death with my my major surgery. So yeah. it wasn't like a huge chance, but I did basically, in so many words, I was told that if we didn't find the problem, I would have been probably dead by 30 anyway. So good thing they found it. Good thing yeah. for my other problem. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I know. did, did the penis extension work or? It always works, Tom. Okay, good, good. It's Thank illegal you. in nine countries. Sixty <laughs> percent. This man's got a concealed carry permit for it. Made with made with bits units. of real panther, so you know it's good. <laughs> uh, what are you mixing your Knob Creek with over there? Don't ask. You're just gonna you're gonna I, make every it all all. What are I we up to now? I won't make a comment. I just want the viewers to hear because I, I finally realized that you were not drinking it straight like no, I was. No, no, I don't. No, no. I I would. I I'll get there. I, I usually try to mix it when I'm getting saucy pants. Um. Coke Zero, cherry. I'm not gonna lie. It's... I'm not gonna say a thing, man. I told you I wouldn't. Um, I'm glad it's... that you're enjoying your beverage of choice. I'm I'm glad that it's putting but, you in a happy place. But I can see your face. <laughs> but nobody listening can. It's it's one of those things that um I realize that I'm ruining it by a lot of people's standards. But I like what I like, and I have done this combination with some different, primarily bourbons couple whiskeys and and they do have different tastes and different flavor notes you want to hear something really interesting this is really interesting i swear to god it's really interesting is it um, going to be shorter than your dad joke no <laughs> well yes i thought we were going to make it it's not going to be shorter than my surgery <laughs> but i had my uh i i did i poured a little bit of the basil hayden's the other day and i decided to mix it with the with the the coke zero cherry and of course my five-year-old sitting there like, daddy what are you drinking and daddy juice Oh, really? Can I try it? No, it's daddy juice slash mommy juice. And I go, you wouldn't even like it anyway. And she goes, oh, okay. And I go here. And I start walking around. She goes, no, I don't want to try it. Cause she, you know, she's still in the, the doofus stage where she believes everything I say. Yeah. And I go, no, here, you want to smell it? And she goes, uh, okay. And, and keep in mind, it's already mixed with the, with the Coke zero. I hold the glass up to her nose and she goes, ew, it smells like dried apples and cherries wow and i do a double take and i go really and she goes yeah it's apples and cherries how did you put those in there i'm like okay fine and i go back to the bottle and i look and it's like fruit notes with a charcoal flavor i'm like oh my god my five-year-old might be a sommelier someday she's gonna be a sommelier look at that smelled this thing mixed with soda and she caught the fruit notes in it holy crap that's impressive right there (laughs) right but that was like knee jerk like ew why'd you put this in this drink 
so a, a big there there are two big reasons I I think I told you before we started recording like I I had never been drunk before I was 21 and there were two reasons that I did mm. not drink like when everyone else around me well there are three reasons that I didn't drink when when everyone else was what were the names of the first two reasons <laughs> dad and mom <laughs> um my my dad when he was <laughs> When I was very young, my dad was a hell of an athlete. Still is. Is he's, gosh, he was born in '61, so I guess he'd be 62 this December, and he can Man. still bench press 400 pounds like no sweat. Like he is an like U.S. Like like yeah, <laughs> U.S. <laughs> no, he he had a chance to. He got scattered by the Red Sox, and he was in high school. He was a hell of an athlete. He, when I was growing up, was the softball player on the team. You know, he pitch pitch it, and the ball goes over the fence. Like that. that that's my dad. And he's just a great ball player and a great athlete. Uh, basketball, volleyball, soccer, baseball. My dad was just all around athletic. And I remember going to his softball games as a kid. And after the softball games, everybody would sit around the beds of their pickup trucks and drink cheap beer. And like it was a team thing. And they'd all just put away a case and like chit chat and bullshit. And it was a social thing. It was a rec league and it was fun. And one year when I was four, um, I remember telling him I wanted a drink and really pestering him. I want to try some of daddy's drink. And finally, he was like, here, take a sip. And I did. And it was swill, like no three or four year olds going to enjoy whatever Bud Light or Natty Ice or I was going to say PBR. I don't know. It was some cheap you know? beer. He he was on a civil servant salary with with a, <laughs> with a couple of kids, so it couldn't have been good beer. They didn't make good beer back then, you know, domestically distributed. So I, I had a sip, and it was the most awful thing, and it left a mark. And I legitimately didn't want beer growing up. And all the kids around me and the football team around me was, you know, drinking. I was the DD for everybody because I just didn't want it. So that was reason one. Reason two is, you know, they got divorced and I had a single mom. It was it was hard on my mom with two kids. And, and you know, we were not blind to how hard things were. And so when my mom asked me, you know, make good decisions, don't put me in a bind and make good decisions. I took it to heart. You um, go one of two ways in a situation like that. Yeah. yeah you either rebel yeah. or, or you don't. And and I didn't, I went the other direction. So I was a pretty good kid growing up. You know, I, I was scrappy and I got in a bunch of fights, but other than that, I was really straight arrow. I was, I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I, I wore condoms. I was a good kid. So there was that pressure to, <laughs> you know, not disappoint my mother. And then, um, my, my stepbrother, when I was very young, um, was hit by a drunk driver and killed. Uh, my stepsister won some. They were in Ohio, actually. It's, it's where they lived. And uh, it was my mom's second marriage. And um, my sister won Homecoming Queen, the equivalent of that for, for some local thing. And there was a parade. And, and my brother was hit by a car as he was walking in the parade. He was hit by a drunk driver and killed. And I was a freshman when I found out about it. And since then, they had gotten divorced. And he was no longer technically my stepbrother. But but to me, he had always been my stepbrother, you know, ever since we were very young. And and so that kind of struck a note for me. And so for me, drinking before I was 21 was never even, I never wanted to, you know, it was, it was an easy thing for me to, to say no. And when I became a police officer many years down the road, it, that's part of the reason there why I loved going after drunk drivers. I mean, it was, man, if, 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 it, if one o'clock hit and I didn't have somebody with a firearm in the back of my car or someone with a felony, like I was looking for drunk drivers. That's what I was doing. But for me, I just, I never really wanted to drink before I was 21. And then like I told Doug, I turned 21 in the desert and, you know, my guys knew I didn't drink because in the army, you know, you don't spend a couple of years with the guys without them knowing you're pretty straight laced. And so when I turned 21 in the middle of the desert, the guys were like, Hey, guess what? When we get back, your ass is ours. And, uh, and they, they made me pay <laughs> my first time drinking with the guys was not a pleasant experience. Yeah. I don't know how we got on this topic. I have no idea. how so, we got here. Yeah. I have no idea here. We'll have to listen to it. So wait a minute. So <laughs> I brought the dark articles, but shit i didn't i didn't know any of that why it's this also this all yeah well this also explains why you just 
absolutely love my arrest. Your, your arrest is comical to me. Like the, I'm not saying no. I got all worked up and fired up over all the DUIs. There were some where I was well, like, dude, what, come on. This is what hilarious. I hear. What I'm hearing is that you would have been the son of a bitch who would have pulled me over. <laughs> yeah, I would have. A hundred percent I would have. Because I still well, so I I don't I mean news flash slash not to anyone who actually has listened to more than five minutes of me talk. I'm very pro police. I mean, in my mind, it, you can't pay enough tax dollars for military and defense budgets and police budgets. But the guy who pulled me over is a stinking son of a bitch. I won't say his name because that's like Jonathan Taylor, a little classless. <laughs> um, but James he, Harden, uh, go ahead, pull a full I, James Harden. Yeah, well, I think I think I said it on on one of the earlier ones when we were talking about this briefly. But I I heard after this guy pulled me over and I was still in my probation ish period uh, a lot of people you 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 hang around a certain crowd and you start to hear about people's duis or police run-ins the moment you say something about it they have their story and i kid you not i heard this guy's full name two separate times unprompted and one of them was from a waitress who got off at 1 30 and said that she got this guy pulled her over and she you know rolled down the window and he said you drove over the double yellow line and she goes no i didn't and he goes, okay, have a good night. Wow. Yeah. So he was just searching for tickets and you know, yep. probably hitting a quota. And like, again, I, I'm not going to sit there and say he's a total D bag. Like, I'm sure he's probably the kind of guy who would still go to like the shots fired call because, you know, I mean, it does take a certain pedigree to, like I said, sign up even for the job to begin with. So you can still be a crappy human being, but still rise to the occasion for certain stuff. So I don't want to completely lambast a guy, but I do firmly believe that I was. He was he was fishing and he happened yeah. to catch one. But to be fair, I thought I was better than I was. So that was a lesson for me. And and we will get into that topic at some point because it's fantastic. It goes <laughs> it it starts in New Jersey with a beer pong tournament and ends with walking along the side of the road in a Browns jersey getting honked at on opening day because you can't drive right now. Oh, Man. And I think I was wearing. Oh, oh, here's a good, here's a good shout out. Um, the who was the punter that was formerly with the Browns who signed, or excuse me, formerly with the Carolina Panthers who signed with the Browns? It was a couple of years ago. Couldn't tell you. There's a really solid chance that any punter for the Browns is going to be lost on me. Here it was. Okay, so it was Andy Lee. So this is my little. Again, my little mini homage. Um, Andy Lee, hunter for the Carolina Panthers, signed with the Browns. And then in the offseason, he he originally got assigned some other number. And he changed his number to eight with the Browns. And the reason he did that was because he had a daughter. And his daughter passed away from birth complications after eight days. And so he, right. And so he changed his jersey number to eight to honor his daughter. And I heard this story and I got a number eight Browns jersey and I put the name Madeline on the back of it because that was the name of his daughter. And I wore it and I wore it every day. You know, every time the Browns played, I wore it to the bar, I wore it everywhere. And honestly, it was like one of the best things I ever did because a lot of guys come up and go, hey, you know, you got a girl's name on the back of your jersey, right? Who's that? Like some girlfriend or fiance or something. And I got to tell the story. A couple of dudes actually 
got mad at me for it like that's a weird thing why would you why would you do that you know it was just my little thing and so that's uh that was the jersey i was wearing i think over that horrible deal i have to double check but seems like a really strange thing to get mad about i know well you know it's it's i made them look bad no one feels good after they they realize they were insulting a dead kid yeah we should have done two dad jokes this has been a long time this has been a long time well, I mean, I think we did both the two dad jokes, just only one during the segment. I I worked in the elephant I mean, squash one, and you worked that's in true. Um, the bad taste. If you've seen theory. one, you've seen them all. I can tell you another one real quick. It's 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 really good. I don't even want to wait until next week. You ready? Go for it. What is a? Th- a th- I don't know. What does a? Th- yeah, th- I know. You're right. You you have no. You don't even see it coming. <laughs> what does a thesaurus eat for breakfast? What does a thesaurus eat for breakfast? Synonym Cheerios? Synonym... Ooh, a synonym Synonym Toast Crunch. (laughs) Oh, there we go. (laughs) Wow, I'm impressed. Man, you should wear that Batman hat more often. It makes you smarter. It does. It does. Brings me back to my youth and my smart days before I had kids, back when I used to sleep. (laughs) What's that? I don't remember. Wait, what word word did you just say? (laughs) I'm not sure what that is. (laughs) It's this thing that used to happen. I don't remember. This is going to have to be a part one and part two, depending on what kind of character we want this cast to have. <laughs> People will be listening. They'll be like, oh, 40 minutes. Oh, 35 minutes. Oh, 57 minutes. What the shit? Two yeah, hours. Right. And... We'll, we'll fix it in post. It's all right. Every time. Every time. We'll fix Every it in time. Post. I don't know. It feels like we're getting to the end there. Yeah. I uh, brought out my Boston accent for a second. I don't think that was a Boston accent. I think that was um. You think more you like think a what? Brooklyn. No, that that was much closer to like a flamboyant Kansas City homosexual trying to pick somebody up at a bar accent. That was oddly specific. Yeah. yeah and how dare you reveal that about me? <laughs> you know, I've got, I, I've that's, got stories, man. I've got we'll, stories. We'll have to. Oh, there's a story behind. We'll have to get into this again too. I I took a linguistics course in college that was. Let's just say if I took this course in my freshman year, I would have been a linguistics major. It was amazing. Teacher is fantastic. Professor Lance Eskildson, for those of you listening. I know, right? When he walked in, first day he walks in with like a like an ascot and like a sweater vest. And we're like, because this guy, you know, he just looked like a preppy. But he was like the coolest dude ever. Love him to death. He he really loved what he does. And he was really great at it. But one thing that that we covered in the class was about accents and kind of being around them even when you're not from the area and and that explained something that had always happened to me because my mother lived in brooklyn until she was nine and then they moved to ohio and you know here i am typical midwesterner kind of thing but i swear to god every so often and and one time it happened to me i was talking to my mom and out of nowhere i just said apple like i was i was literally talking about fruit on the table and i just said yeah. apple instead of apple and i was like where did that come from and she looks at me and she goes Oh, I haven't heard that in a while. And then like, yeah, I ran away. And then this course explained like, oh, well, you know, you probably heard her accent slip out every so often and kids pick that stuff up. And so, you know, linguistics, we can, we can make a whole, a whole talk about that someday. I would love Uh it. It's so good. There's so many linguistics things we can get into. I'd like to read lots of different accents when I do the, when I read my kids' books, like Scottish, Irish, English, mm-hmm. Australian, German, Swedish. Like I do lots of different French. I, I just do all the all the European and some other ones too. And my daughter just started doing accents. So tonight Ooh. we read a Puss in Boots a Puss in Boots book, 
and her trying to do an accent. Yes. <laughs> her trying to do an accent when she read the part of Puss was <laughs> memorable. It was fantastic. So so I've told I promised her that we'll practice it two or three more times Good. and then we'll record it. And she wants to have a YouTube channel. Ooh. So we're we're gonna do something with us reading stories for kids. It's gonna be she and I, you know, reading stories for other kids. I'm looking forward to recording her with this um this accent because it's it's definitely unique and it's memorable. You are such a wholesome individual. I love it. Uh, I gotta balance out the darkness somehow, you know. Yeah, I I mean, well, there was that the what we did in that course was there was that one woman that reads the same sentence in twenty two different accents and 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 she Impressive. hits them all like he, she nails them all really good. But the the best part was our professor had us. He he handed out little sheets of paper. There were just one through twenty two with a little line on each one. He said every single accent rate how much you like it on a scale of one to 10. And I mean, pretty much every mainstream ish thing you could think of Australian, British, Manhattan, Brooklyn, because they're different, Boston, Midwest, Southern, Californian, whatever. And the whole point of the exercise, of course, it ended up working out because it's just weird. Something like British, pretty much everybody had a one or two or nine or 10. They either really loved the British accent or really hated it. Same thing with Australian, same thing with Scottish, same thing with even like Chinese kind of thing. Um, Polarized. Right, right. Well, he went through each line. He said, you know, just raise of hands. How many people rated this a nine or a 10? And how many people did this one or two? And, And it was pretty, you know, back and forth. And then just good old fashioned, well, me, Midwest, Ohio, every single person in the room rated a five or a six. Wow. And and he wrapped this up and he said, you watch the news anywhere in the U.S., they all have a Midwest accent because nobody loves it and nobody hates it. So everyone watches it. Interesting. And and then we've gotten to the videos of the guys who are talking in their Midwest accent in like way southern Texas. And then a bug like hits them in the face and they go, Bam! and they, just like the real accent comes out and. It was really cool. It was very, very cool. Love linguistics. Well, on that note. My God, <laughs> it was forever. That was a long one. I'm going to go ahead and just quote, um, quote one of the great poets of our time and just say, um, you know, all right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. <laughs> Isn't that Agatha Christie? No, God bless. Pretty sure it's, it's uh, Orson Cromwell. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> It's good to be the king, baby. Thank you for listening to Two Dads Talking. And uh, I guess we will chat with you again over our next glass of probably Knob Creek again since he opened a bottle tonight. Oh, my Uh, God. There's so much. This is going to last at least one more episode. That's why I buy the 750 milliliter instead of the one and a half tanker. Thank you for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.